And good evening. Today is still Monday, June 14th, 2021. I'm your host, Evan George, and welcome to The Night Show of Bostopia News. And hello to everyone on TikTok. I recommend switching to Twitch, Facebook, or YouTube. Hello to everyone there. I hope people enjoyed the new icon symbol, whatever you would call it, that I got for the show. I'm very excited about it. And it's another one in the works, which is an anime version of myself. And for today's show, we're going to talk about the recent resignations from the Boston School Committee, some quick history about the Boston School Committee, and I'll definitely be doing a lot more about that later. And then for the video segment, we're going to look at the Boston Police Union Mayoral Forum, in which only four of the candidates showed up for. I haven't watched a single second of it yet, so I'm excited to see what questions they have. But going into the first story, and this is something which occurred originally um, last week. I, I brought it up. I commented on it briefly. However, I really didn't give full read of it. I just more commented on what happened. And this is all in context of a much larger fight over should the Boston School Committee transition back to an elected system versus the appointment one that we have right now. And I thought this article by, comically, Joe uh, Battenfeld sets the stage a little bit and gives us a good, um, good launch point. So, time to dismantle the dysfunctional Boston School Committee. And I want you to remember some of these key phrases. Dysfunctional Boston School Committee. The appointed board that has been rocketed by a series of controversies can no longer be taken seriously or make major decisions affecting thousands of school children. The latest slap in the face, which is always a good nod to conservative um, sense of victimhood. The latest slap in the face was the resignations of Chairman, sorry, Chairwoman Alexandra Oliver Davila and member Lorna Riviera, after private texts between them were released showing them disparaging West Roxbury parents as racist and Westy whites, which is absolutely going to make a fun um, bar team name one day. And just a few months earlier, a student member of the committee resigned, saying he and students were being ignored. So beginning with that first part, and then I'm going to talk more about the Boston School Committee in a second because I found a great document, is about specifically Alexandra and Lorna's resignations. Because again, I reported on it when it happens. I really didn't weigh in on any commentary. And after discussing it with a few people over the weekend, I am very much or as much as I can be, but I, to the extent that I'm familiar with these two people, they should not have resigned. Now, the reason for that is because, one, if you are actually doing a good job, if you are actually fighting for and passing policies which are going to benefit the school children of uh, Boston, particularly highlighting the most marginalized and subjugated uh, populations within them, you should stay in the fight. And you do not uh, capitulate, you do not resign. This is something that the quote-unquote right is very good with, is that they do not resign. They do not feel embarrassment. They tough it out because they have an agenda that they're trying to do. And we need people, and I do not know to what extent that that this phrase applies to them. However, given that there is now people rallying behind them, it looks like, okay, they probably were actually um, doing a good job with two good voices on the council. I don't follow the particulars of the individuals in the Boston City Council the same way. I, I'm sorry, the Boston, um, the Boston School Committee the same way I do the Boston City Council. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. But if you are ever in a situation where you're being pressured to resign and you're genuinely doing good, and what that means is like in a left framework, you stay in the fight, you do not leave. You duck your head for a week or two, the media cycle moves on, you stay um, in place, you stay in power when you have it. That's what the left needs to do a better job doing. And part of it also has to do with how some of this, it says private text. And it's very confusing how any of this got released. Because if like I am a public employee, the Herald could, if they wanted to, do a FOIA request. However, they could access probably my state laptop, probably my state email account, probably my state cell phone. But that doesn't mean that they get 
all private texts that I've ever sent on any hardware that I possess. And so I am confused at what devices, like, did they say something on like a private, like they thought it was private on like a Zoom and then, you know, people can bring it up. And to the point of what they were discussing this um, about, you know, Westy Whites, and I applied this pretty uniformly, is I don't care what people say in private. I, I honestly don't. A lot of this has to do with my view about how the internet ruined everyone because when we, everyone is used to the dynamic of you speak uh, differently in different circles. That doesn't mean that you're not like your truest self in other circles, but depending on who you are in your environment, you talk and act differently. Everyone talks and act differently with their friends at a party than they would with their grandparents in church, for example. Doesn't mean that you're more real or fake in either. It's just different environments around different people. And if Alexandra made a comment to Lorna or vice versa, referring to Westy Whites, making a comment that if said on mass would be highly inappropriate, but to a private con uh, private conversation with the other person probably has enough context of you to know specifically what you mean. Like I find it very difficult to believe that either Alexandra or Lorna truly believe that white people are demonic in some way and therefore because of the color of their skin or because of their race, uh, deserve to be um, subjugated, have their rights taken away, receive less resources in uh, the Boston public schools, right? I find that very hard to believe that that's what they actually think. And so while, again, I'm consistent with this and that I don't care if people make disparaging racist jokes or racist comments in private and then they get leaked. What I care is when you are in power, what are you doing? And to me, the private leaks only add additional evidence or context to how you're acting in power. And so that's something I'm consistent on. Let's see if um, there's something that comes up in the, the next news cycle that makes me uh, have to bite my tongue. But we'll see. And so this article continues about the recent push to get a elected Boston Student Council again, something that I'm very much in favor for. If you watched one of my other live streams, I talked about how ridiculous I think the whole hybrid model idea is. It's either we want um, these to be democratically accountable positions or we don't. I don't understand the narrative of like, well, we want some democracy, not too much, though. Like we have to put some checks on the people. And this is something that you know, reading here, other city councilors have also voiced support for the elected school committee, including Michael Flaherty and Julie Mejia. And those are two uh, councilors which are on radically different ends of the spectrum where it comes to Boston politics. And part of this has to do with Boston's very unique history with these institutions. And I will probably do a much more fully researched and in-depth dive, both about the busing period in Boston and then also um, the transition of the school committee. I think that would probably be a great um, 20 minute segments here and there to go into. And so I'll talk more about when I decide to do that. But I was doing some quick uh, Googling to figure out a timetable. And I came across this document that I just wanted to share before we get into the fun stuff with the, uh, the police union form. And this is from a bureau brief from the Boston Municipal Research Bureau, a private enterprise in public service since 1932. So this is, I have not looked into them, first glance, this is a right-leaning think tank, who in 1996 published a pamphlet advocating vote no on question two. And I actually had a very difficult time in the quick few minutes I had before the show to try to look into what was question two in 1996 because the most popular question too was in uh, 2016 um, that had to do with schools. And that was about uh, maintaining the hard line on charter schools in the city. So I'm definitely gonna look further into, but I believe what this ballot question was in 1996 was to try to go back towards a democratically elected school committee. Because as um, this brief calendar, let me uh, minimize myself for the people watching on Twitch and YouTube or whatever. So in 1978, the superintendent became more responsible. This is again in lieu after the, uh, the busing. 
1986, where we have financial controls. All right, this doesn't do a good job explaining the shrinkage of the Boston City Council. But according to this, 1991 was the establishment of a full appointed school committee. And one of the reasons that large groups supported moving to this, again, from my professor knowledge, is because how much more the white population of Boston voted or just actually just took up pure numbers, there were just more residents who were white than there were people of color, the issue of schools was so heavily racially divided because of obviously one housing uh, construction to just play in racial segregation that all of the white people who dominated the voting would continue to elect people that would maintain racial segregation, maintain lack of resources to the black neighborhoods of Boston. And so there were um, demographics, black people of color that said, we cannot win within an elected school committee. So we must actually, it might be better for us to move to an appointed position where at least we're going to have some power and leverage over the mayor. And hello, Heather. And the thing I wanted to share with you is this, again, this right-wing think tank from the 90s um, giving a, a pamphlet over why they should maintain the appointed school committee. And when we go through this, you'll see that all these arguments are still in use, um, are being used right now for people who are against this idea, word for word. It has the same rhetoric of anti-democracy, of government doesn't work, so on and so forth. And this is, of course, peak 90s. So hit, number one reason, chaos. The 13-member elected structure was too large and unwieldy to allow the committee to effectively serve as a cohesive, accountable body. So the idea that we should not have, thank you to, uh, to whoever just described, that we should not have an elected committee because it's too large, it's too unwieldy. You can't do democracy. Next bullet point, no accountability. The fundamental flaw in the elected structure was that it did not ensure accountability in any one person or board. So this idea being, oh, well, if the mayor appoints it, people will blame the mayor for the problems of the school committee. When actually appointment ships are made to deflect, appointment ships are actually made to obfuscate who is in power. So you do yell at the people who are appointed versus actually having the power to elect them or not elect them. The next cost, and now this is when they blame the school committee for operating in deficits, which again, 11 out of 14 years. So you're talking about the 1980s and 90s, what was going on in the 1980s and 90s, massive cuts within public spending and the public infrastructure, primarily education. So this document trying to um, say, oh, it's just bad management of the school committee not the actual much larger factors, not the massive tax cuts that were going on in Massachusetts around this period. Fourth reason we shouldn't have an elected school committee, politicians. As an elected body, most members thought of themselves as politicians whose first priority was to serve their constituents with current problems and issues and to use their personal staffs for such purposes. Yeah, that's actually a positive. I forgot this was the 90s that um, the, the idea that you would elect people who then served in the public interest was actually viewed negatively as skepticism. And, it, and also, of course, again, this document's ridiculous, but the idea that people who receive appointments, like those aren't political in nature, that those aren't favors in return for something, that those aren't um, nepotism, someone's nephew who needs a hookup, or that it's somebody who is a donor in a campaign. Oh, okay, yeah, payback, yeah, your brother can be on the school committee. How's that? Next reason we shouldn't have um, an elected voter apathy, the small amount of people who vote, which, yeah, is a massive problem. And saying that, therefore, we shouldn't even bother with voting is the complete opposite approach. It is because of how detached people are from politics when the actual mechanisms which benefit their lives materially the economy is completely taken out of the hands of their elected officials. So it's almost like it doesn't matter if you vote Democrat or Republican. So what's the part that, um, why even bother showing up to the polls? Candidate apathy. In 1989, 
the incumbents in four out of nine districts ran unopposed. Yeah, Massachusetts has one of the least competitive elections in the state. And indecisive. They're not able to break out of political issues to make a sound decision. So I, I found this document fascinating. Again, it is 35 years old. Many of these arguments are actually still embedded in the people who say to maintain an appointed position. Anissa Savi George, for example, talks about how uh, politicians are too easily persuaded by special interest, and that's why we shouldn't have elections. It's, it's funny stuff. The 90s was a, was a great time. I was mostly a child, but I have looked back on it fondly. And we had great uh, TV shows then. But all right, let's get to the video segment. And I reported on this earlier, but this was the emergency services, what's the official? I mean, they call it the First Responders Mayoral Forum, but it is predominantly run by the BPD, no, the BPPA, the Boston Police Patrolmen's Union, whatever they want to call it. There's a couple in Boston, but the largest one. And Kim Janey and Andrea Campbell didn't even bother showing up, which I I agree with Michelle Wu showing up. Some people tried to say that she shouldn't have. Uh, but let's see. Let's see how she does. And this is being moderated by Sean Carter of the Herald. And yeah, kickoff. So um, I will start off with uh, the questions. Every candidate will have three minutes to answer each question. We're, we'll go in alphabetical order, but we'll sort of cycle through so okay. everybody gets their chance to go first and last. Um, uh, so yeah, so you'll have three minutes to answer each question. Uh, I may have a follow-up, in which case you'll have 30 seconds to answer that. Oh, and it's uh, captions. Again, Sean Cotter, the Boston Herald. Um, I don't work with any of these organizations, but I am. they submitted questions to me, and I uh, will say where the question came from. All right, come on, Sean. Ask your question. We don't get all my So um, let's get straight to it. This one was uh, originally from the detectives union, uh, but uh, all the different police unions uh, asked it. Um, the issue of defunding the police. Um, yes! Police, general concept. Are you for it or are you against it? Let's go. Oh, yeah. And so uh, we're, we're starting with uh, Mr. Barros. Sorry about that. Thank you, Sean. Um, I recognize, uh, want to recognize the hosts of uh, today's uh, forum, um, all of the different organizations of law enforcement that have brought us together. Today, I want to recognized for their for their services to our community for oh, God. Um, putting their lives on the line and um, helping protect us. Um, I've got family members the, on the force and friends and um, proud of the Boston Police Department. Which you... uh, I'm going to keep interrupting that. Well, one, John Barrow shouldn't be in the race anymore. Has zero shot of winning. I have a better chance of being elected mayor. There's really no point of him still being in the race. Um, the idea that police protect us, of course, the next follow-up would be protect us from what? to which um, a somebody on their toes would say crime. And then, of course, the follow-up to that is, is, well, what creates crime? Where does crime come from? Because the, the image that a lot of people believe organically, maybe a lot is a stretch, is that crime is organic. It, it happens. There is no explanation. There are just some people in the world to do evil, and we need people to protect us from the evil doers. That is why you need police. That is why they need to be heavily armed. That is why we need cameras. That is why we need cages. Is to protect us from this evil force. And so the construct of police protect us is one, completely ahistorical. Two, completely separate from their actual day-to-day -day job. They only spend roughly less than 10% of their time actually like looking into crimes. But it is around you see false understanding of where crime, uh, crime comes from and what the actual function of the police is. You guys have been able to do. Um, I, I think defunding police is the wrong framework. It is not the right framework to look at the work we need to do. We need a positive vision. We need a, for any department in the city of government, we need a vision that talks about how we can be better, do better. I'm gonna keep interrupting. I agree from a messaging standpoint that when I discuss, and I'm talking to candidates about defunding the police, that we are framing it as we need to invest in our community. 
phrasing things in the positive always does much better than um, centering them in the negative. However, I don't think that's what he means by that. How we can aspire to be the best. Um, and uh, I'd like to talk about how Boston police uh, or all of our first responders can be the best department in the country. We were the first police department in the country. And in fact, I know we can continue to get better. Throughout the years that I've been a resident in Boston, I've seen the improvements. I've seen the changes. Um, you know, uh, there are changes that have been made. In fact, we have a better police department for it. And I think there are more changes that need to be made so that, in fact, we can continue to improve. I'd love uh, to I hear the to members of the quantify. Force, like, I don't get any disagreement. Quantify what's in fact, better. I think that, uh, you know, uh, this can only be done in partnership. And as mayor, I would make sure to be in partnership with any of law enforcement groups to, to seek the changes that we all want to see. I was proud to serve under Mayor Marty Welsh as his chief of economic development for the last seven years. And proud, in fact, to have partnered with police when we launched the Boston Police Reform Task Force. Um, and in conversation with police, came up with a great list of reforms, uh, a great list of things that we, some we had started and needed to do more of, and some we need to, um, to do and implement. Um, and so uh, it's important, in fact, that we go back like to the what? list of things that we talked about there, that we finish implementing the Office of Police Transparency and Accountability, that we finish doing the work that we started with, uh, with body cams, that we do the work that we started to make sure that, in fact, the Boston Police Department continues to be uh, uh, ahead of the curve in our country and continues to be well positioned to serve the residents of the city of Boston. And so for me, that's the framework we should look at. It should be a framework about how we get better and how we become the best, not a framework around funding. And so, I mean, some more immediate questions you would ask is, okay, you're saying that Boston is ahead of the curve, the Boston is better, so then why do we need to make these changes? What, why do we need to have more police cameras? Why do we need to have an officer on accountability? To which, again, they would instantly respond, well, because we're doing good, but we need to do better. And say, so, okay, how are you measuring that we're doing good? And what is it that we need to get better at? What are the problems facing the police force after you just congratulate them as being heroes that protect us from the forces of evil? What, why then do we need that, this structure? What are the problems? And that, that's when they kind of break down. Uh, thank you very much. Um, same question to uh, City Councilor Sabi George. Um, defunding the police, yes or no? Thank you very much for unmuting me there. I thought it'd be a, a little bit of difficulty getting my answer in. I'm grateful uh, for everyone who's hosted this afternoon's forum and this very important discussion uh, that we need to have together. When I think about the work, uh, let me first say I'm an Easter Asabi George and very proud to serve as an at-large city councilor here over the last five and a half years. I'm also excited to lead this city as its next mayor. And when I think about the work of municipal government, when I think about the work that we have to do together as a city, one of the most important aspects of city governance, of municipal government, and of your leader, of your mayor, is to make sure that we keep our city safe. Public safety has to be central to the work that we do. Now, I do not support defunding the police. I believe that we have to invest in our community programs that get to the root of injustices in our system and throughout our city. I know that chances are, if any one of our residents ends up in the justice system, it's our other systems that have failed them along the way. We know the challenges that our residents face around housing, around transportation, around education, around access to healthcare. And when those systems fail, it continues throughout the span of their lifetime. And too often, when these other systems have failed, our residents end up in the judicial system. We need to make sure that our police officers, our Boston Police Department. And so, like, listen to how she's answering this question. It's basically saying no to defunding the police, but we need to make investments in the community, which is, I'm sorry, a complete BS response to this, because the entire concept of defunding the police is to basically acknowledge that you have a city budget that has certain constraints. You're going to dictate where those resources go. The defund the police movement is saying we need to divest from the security state, divest from police, and invest in the community. So if you are saying that you believe in investing in the community, then you are supporting the efforts of defunding the police. You have to determine where do the resources go. The idea that we will be able to do both, and you can bring up any number of how much more we spend on police than X. How much more do we spend on police than affordable housing is probably the most notable example. That is all a dictation, and that is all determined by where do you put the resources. So pretending that that is not a choice is disingenuous and bullshit. It's just this. All of our first responders have the tools they need. And as a city, we need to invest in that work. We know that too often, many of you are responding to calls that go way beyond the scope of your work. So that's why we have to invest both in the work that's happening in our communities and in your training. We have to decriminalize poverty. We have to decriminalize substance use disorder and homelessness and mental illness. And again, bullshit again, because she's talking about decriminalizing 
um, poverty, which is just like, I don't know, a good buzzword phrase. But she also advocates more police. Her, one of her major solutions to the mass and caste crisis is to have more police to brutalize, to remove, to encage. And so she's saying, again, the buzzwords, like we need to decriminalize poverty, but then the second actually question on a policy, what policy are you going to do? That is when all she has is more police, more batons, more weapons, more prisons. And that's stuff that we have to do at the city level and work with you in partnership to make sure that you're able to keep our city safe. And when we have these conversations around defunding the police, they're very directly related to the police budget. It's no different here in the city of Boston. And as a city councilor today, we are undergoing our city's budgeting process, as we do every year this time, preparing for the next fiscal year. I believe we need to increase our police budget. And I think that, See? you know, it seems almost counterintuitive um, when, when we think about the larger uh, scope of the problem. But to actually work to decrease the police overtime budget, we need to increase in our police budget. We need to hire more officers. We know that our overtime budget is just an item that we constantly and consistently overextend ourselves. And to actually cut down on that spending, we need to invest in our police department. And through my work on the city council, through my work in partnership with community, and through my work in partnership with many of you, we've identified that, that a shortage of at least three minutes. 300 police officers. And I look forward three to Three minutes, Jesus. Um, they'll bring up overtime again. I've talked about it ad nauseum, but that is all just a misdirection. They did that last year. They tried cutting the overtime budget that actually results in the Boston police officers spending more money than they did the year previously. But I'm sorry, you cannot go off for the first 90 seconds talking about decriminalizing poverty and investing in our communities and then ending with, and therefore we need to give more money to the police. We're literally talking about the allocation of resources, period. Where do you put the money? Liar. Great. Uh, well, thank you, Sean. And let me start off by saying thank you to each of the first responder groups um, that have come together today to host this important forum on this very important issue. Again, my name is John Santiago. I am a state representative. I uh, represent the South Bend primarily, but I also stretch out to Roxbury, Back Bay, uh, parts of the Fenway as well. And like many of you, uh, I've committed my life to public service. You know, in addition to my role as a state representative on Beacon Hill, I still work the overnight shift as an ER doctor at Boston Medical Center. I still work with many of you on the front lines. I'll see you Friday and Saturday overnights during my shift. And I still happen to be a captain in the Army Reserve. So my life has really been about public service and giving back, similar to, similar to what many of those people on that video we just heard what their life was about. So let me just... I always hate the narrative that these are about public service. I mean, I'm sorry. If you have, like, conserved... I, I, I don't believe anyone. I don't care how good you are. It's about service. I mean, it's, it's generally... You have a certain le level of egotism. He's not a doctor. He's not in the military and he's not in office because he just wants to help people. It's generally status. And I think that's true on the on the left and the right, and which is why I don't moralize any of this about are you are you in it to help people or not? I don't care what your inner passions are or what moves your heart. I care with what you do with the power you have. He sucks. Just say as a fellow first responder myself who's been through the ringer this past year, like many of you, uh, and who this past weekend in the yard, ER, work with EMS, police, and fire literally to save lives. Now, you have my utmost respect uh, and support uh, because I know the value you bring and the risk you take on. And you will continue to have that support should I be so lucky to be the next mayor. So I hope tonight is the first of many conversations we have because it's these type of discussions, you know, although tough at times, are ones that we need to be having um, because this is how we achieve progress and you know, we bring uh, people together. When it comes to defunding the police, look, you know, we cannot continue um, to attempt to solve these complex issues of policing or what have you with three word sentences. The world is not figuratively black and white, right? It's gray and filled with a tremendous amount of nuance. And look, there's no question that the murder of George Floyd and was just... <laughs> Notice how he says like, oh, listen, this is so complex. You can't do it in three words. So I'm going to talk for about the next 90 seconds to run out the clock and not really say anything. Despicable uh, was a callous act and that those perpetrators should be held accountable. But no three word phrase is going to solve any issue. Uh, and so, you know, while it's a time for racial reckoning, you know, as a person of color who grew up in urban America, I get it, you know, but let's not paint, you know, every cop every police department with a broad paintbrush, right? When it comes to police budget, budget, you know, I will create a budget that reflects our priorities and ensures public safety, first and foremost. Okay, and, and the question is, as mayor, if you want to create a budget that reflects your priorities, what are your priorities? This isn't hard. And I mean, like, he has a lot of policies that I don't like. He's taking a lot of bad votes. But I mean, dude, you get, they give you three minutes to answer. Three minutes is a long time for, to answer a question. You can talk about where do you want to put your resources? Should it go more towards the police or should it go more towards investing in our community? We'll give you $100 chips and you can tell us where you'd put the chips. 
say something of you, substance. I want to empower you to be the best police officer that you possibly can be. And look, I will be a fiscally responsible mayor. You know, I'm going to commit to looking at the entire BPD budget and streamline operations when we can and to make it more efficient. So yes, I'm about fiscal responsibility, but more so than that, I'm about empowering you. I haven't heard because that phrase sure that you in decades. Fiscal responsibility. Provide the appropriate services that I know you do each and every day. Who is advising you? Because I work alongside you Friday, Saturday night in the ER. And so I want to make your job easier. I want to facilitate that, and I want to invest in you. And given that the morale is low, because I see it and hear it uh, from you when I work uh, alongside you, given the increase in the number of 911 calls, given the increase in the substance use issues that we're having, and the mental crises, I want to employ people and create innovative programs to take that off your load, right? I'm curious how Michelle handles this form. Thank you so much, Sean, and thank you so much to everyone who worked hard to, to put this conversation together today. Uh, grateful for the chance to have a direct conversation and get into the details about a lot of issues that uh, we kind of read back and forth in the news, but um, get the chance to, to dive in today. My name is Michelle Wu. I've served on the Boston City Council as an at-large member for eight years now and have been humbled to represent every neighborhood, every community in our city as someone who deeply believes in city government because my family has experienced just how much it matters. Uh, I grew up as a daughter of immigrants and uh, have been navigating the barriers on behalf of my parents since I was very young. Uh, to answer quickly, um, do you support defunding the police? And you're welcome. Barriers, cultural barriers. And in my family, I share the story often that in my early 20s, as my mom was becoming a single mom, she was diagnosed with late onset schizophrenia. And I raised my sisters from the time they were 10 and 16 and have been a caregiver in, in that situation. Hi, Michelle so is running up the clock right now. lived and watched the experience of so many in our communities of mental illness, of deep challenges, of needing to understand how all the pieces fit together. And in my platform in city government, I've been grateful to have the chance to see just how much of a difference we can make if we confront our issues directly, if we build coalitions and bring people with different perspectives to the table. So in terms of this specific question, you know, we can't, we can't reduce change and the scope of change that we need to a simple slogan. We need a plan. Oh, come on, Michelle, take a stand. Of reforms that are necessary, not just for our city to be truly safe for every single resident, including our officers who are going out every single day and putting their lives on the line, but to ensure that we are recognizing the service that is being put day in and day out and that that is not marked by the scandals and the situations that have come out um, because of systemic issues that need to be addressed. And so I just want to note that, in fact, we have tried defunding the police already. Technically, last budget cycle, the budget for the police department was cut, and it was cut out of a sort of shell game of slashing the overtime line item budget. That was not a, ever a realistic way to get to change. I believe we need plans to shift from a public safety alone lens to public safety and public health together to think about the services needed for individuals experiencing mental illness, homelessness, substance use, to think about the systemic reforms to our overtime system and others to get that budget under control so that we will be at a place where we recognize the hard work and public service of our officers, just as we do every city department, but also held to the highest standards as all workers of transparency and accountability. See, I mean, I like I, I have to knock it. That was a really bad answer. I mean, it, like the first um, minute and a half was to make like an emotional appeal of why she's in office, which is fine. It's not how um, I would want her to use that time. And it was then sandwiched in between how much she respects law enforcement. I got lost in when she was saying we already tried to defund the police because that was, and, and I think she addressed it correctly, that that was a make-believe attempt. Uh, but I got lost in the rationale and then ended her thing saying how much she, the quote is up, held to the highest standards as our workers have. Okay, maybe not. Maybe it was the one before. But then sandwiched it again saying like, how great of a job they're doing, how thankful she is for their service. And for her to go to the forum, which she didn't have to do, Kim Janey and Andrea Campbell just completely blew it off, and to not actually take the time to talk through why it is in that public safety is why we need to reallocate money from the police towards our communities. That this is not that we think that police officers are good or bad people, that this is 100% about what keeps our streets safe. And that is making investments in your community. Every sociologist for the past 80 years has come to the same conclusion that the primary cause of violence of crime, and by that I'm talking about violent crime, murder, rape, theft, is when you have a law, large congregation of unemployed, destitute men. When you have that dynamic, you will see an increase in crime. Well, four or five different reasons. Maybe I'll get to hit them hit on them um, as we go. But to not take the opportunity to answer that question directly and honestly 
is I'm sorry. It, it just makes it seem disingenuous and that if given the actual power of mayor, you might not actually do the things that you're signaling towards like to people like me or people on the left. Superior Officers Association, and it's uh, very much in that same vein. Um, many of you and uh, various politicians and, act and activists have talked about reimagining the police department. Uh, what does that mean to you? Uh, what your plans? <laughs> These are great questions. Uh, I would have asked. Say, what does that uh, mean, reimagine police? Um, what are you talking about? You all say that. What do you mean? What is community police? Well, thank you for the question. And what I'll do here, so I avoid running over, set my own timer. I think it's really important that when we talk about reimagining and doing our work different as a city, especially as it relates to public safety, that we are certainly doing it together. I'm very proud of our city's acknowledgement and I guess our nation's acknowledgement around our model community policing efforts here in the city of Boston. And truly to continue with that legacy and to look forward with that, we need to always make sure that through community policing, community Again. Engage, and our police. I, I read quite a bit on a lot of the subjects I discuss here. I don't know what community policing is. And like, that's not me trying to be funny or trying to be a dick. I have no idea what they're talking about. I, I know what broken windows policing is, which is the deliberate strategy of over-policing, over-criminalizing minor behaviors under the complete BS false assumption that if you allow the minor um, breaking of the laws. If you allow jaywalking, that's going to somehow lead to like more rapes. That's like what broken windows policing is. You have to go really heavy on the minor stuff. It comes from if there's like a car on a street that has a broken window, then that car will have its stereo stolen and then the tires will be guttered. Like if you allow one small thing, it, it spirals. It's completely BS and nonsense and just an excuse to overcriminalize and uh, subjugate black populations and poor neighborhoods across the country. But so in their mind, I think what community policing is like what you see on television where like the friendly cop walks down the street and they say, hello, Dan. And like the cop knows everyone's name and they go to that person for something. But that never existed. That or to put it differently, if you want to read A Colony in a Nation by Christopher Hayes, that type of policing it existed in like exists in suburbs where like you just got a handful of cops and they kind of just like help out at parades like that, I guess, is community policing. But the idea that the actual role of the police, especially in inner cities, is ever going to represent some leave it to beaver fantasy of what you saw on television is is nonsense. Like, what does community policing look like in Boston? Give me something concrete. Department is engaged. Our police officers, that those doing the work, are engaged. When we reimagine, we can think about reimagine through my work. We will reimagine how we can better train police officers. How we can look at new recruits and their academy training, how we can expand training for existing officers and integrate developing theories and police reform perspectives into that work. We need to establish clear protocols for promotions and performance evaluation over the course of uh, someone's career in the Boston Police Department and making sure that through that time we are providing police officers with professional development and training opportunities uh, to improve their skill set and to improve their efforts on, on the street. Uh, Reimagining and re-engaging in this very important work of public safety also includes increasing diversity across our police department, so, and in fact, increasing diversity across all of our first Well, uh, all right, well, one, basically, most studies have shown that increasing diversity uh, within the police has not actually changed the function and role of the police. Uh, the second thing is, again, so why do we have to reimagine police? If you believe that police are there for public safety, if you believe that police protect us, if you believe we need more police officers, why do we have to reimagine it? What What is the current problem then that now we need to reimagine the role of the police from these people's worldview? Do you see how like it's completely nonsensical Like when you try to follow their arguments? Why would you need reforms to this institution that you just bent over praising about how great they're doing, how they're risking themselves? And once you get into that nitty gritty, you can see that their entire thing is BS and they're, and they're making nods to the slogans. But you can't say we need more police and then say we need to reimagine policing. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. What, what do you believe the role of the police is in the society? And then why do you need to reimagine it? Responder agencies. That we're also looking, especially within police, to expand the cadet program. As we look to expand the number of police officers in the department, 
we have an opportunity to expand the very successful Boston Police Cadet Program that we have today. And we have an opportunity to do that in partnership with our Boston Public Schools. And in fact, when we think about recruiting across our city, we've got a tremendous opportunity to think about all of our first responder agencies and to do that in a collaborative way with Boston EMS and with Boston Fire in partnership. It is so important that we do this work uh, together, that we are, again, including diversity in that recruitment, that we are looking for multilingual um, first responders, that we are expanding educational incentives for officers, and that we are holding true to our commitment of treating you like the professional that you are. I am committed to a schedule of promotional exams too often uh, under the, the current um, Okay, I gotta fast forward. I, I have waiting. no idea what she's talking. This is just running out the clock nonsense. Many, many years, in fact, up to seven years to participate in the promotional exam. We need to perhaps extend the promotion, uh, probationary period before promotion and then shrink to two to three years for promotional exams. That creates opportunities for a yeah, we more don't, engaged uh, police force. We don't need more promotions. For development throughout the career. Thank you very much. You did set the timer for yourself, so <laughs> very good. Um, so now next. Oh, to, these three uh, minutes are uh, way too long. Santiago, the same question. Two minutes max. If you ever run a forum, two minutes max. Even that, 60 seconds. Like, let's go. We just stopped to do. What does that mean to you? What would be changing under your mayorship? Well, the first thing that I will be doing is meeting with the folks on the ground. You know, the lesson that I've learned in my experiences, you know, not just as an ER doctor on the front lines, not just as someone who's you know traveled the world and, and worked in communities abroad, is that the best ideas come from people on the ground that are doing the work. And look. You know, it is you guys that are putting your lives on the line to serve us. Oh, and so okay. my very first week in office, you know, very first month in office will be dedicated to working alongside you, to showing up and hearing your voices. If you ever um, are running for office and you have no idea how to answer a question, begin it by saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do day one? I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to go on a fact finding mission and I'm going to talk to the people because they know the solutions. Like that is the most routine I, I have no ideas of my own. I don't even know why I'm running for office. I'm really just doing it to uh, get my name out there. So what it, what am I doing day one? What's my big idea? I'm going to have some conversations. Because you need to be at the table. You know, I need to get the best ideas from the ground, and you can apply those good ideas. And from what I'm hearing, <laughs> I need to, I need to get the good ideas because I don't have anything you know, to say. That morale is down, right? You know, I see this as New York position on the front lines. Again, the growing toll of mental health crisis is happening, substance abuse crisis. You know, there are better ways to treat that than by sending a police officer, right? Now, I'm not talking about the cases where um, there's someone's life's in danger, uh, but I see every Friday, Saturday night I work, there will be officers who will bring in someone who is intoxicated or agitated, and I see the looks on their faces. They don't want to be doing that stuff, right? Nor are they trained to do that stuff, but they're called to do that, right? I think there are ways to reimagine, to come up with programs that can invite other experts, other people that are trained specifically to do that type of work, provide better care, and we have examples of that all across the country. Yeah, we do. So that not only in, saves in, money. In uh, diversing. Yep, and saves money. In divesting taking the scope of the police away from the police and investing in actual new jobs where mental health professionals go out there who are not armed to the teeth, who actually are trained to deal with these things, to provide care. It saves lives and it's cheaper. But that is an element of defunding the police. That is part of the rhetoric. So it cannot be we need more police officers and now we're gonna make it so our cops do less. See how those two things do not exist simultaneously? to be best and most appropriately used to address some of those issues that are more public health in nature. You know, I want to reduce your demand that, that is put on police, EMS, fire, and put us in positions to succeed, you know. Listen, I also want a diverse police department. You know, I want the best trained officers and we're going to be investing in that from day one. You know, and I'm also committed to really decreasing the reliance on overtime. And we can do that by increasing staffing. My conversations with cops, you know, we're several hundred uh, officers down. Today we had a graduation, 94 graduated, but we need more. You know, we need to like, and, more and again, like that whole idea of like, oh, like um, we're down 100 officers, like, they construct the shift schedule. Like I could construct a shift schedule that said, oh, you know what, we actually, we need another 5,000 police officers. I can construct a shift schedule that says, oh, actually we have a surplus of uh, 20 million. Like if you construct the schedule, then you can determine how many shifts you need. And then you're able to say, oh, we need more officers. We need to fill these shifts. Dude, bullshit. Like you're just, you're constructing the mechanism to make the numbers look a certain way. And I mean, he's disingenuous, but anyone who pretends to genuinely care about this stuff to take it seriously, like you're getting played. I'm committed to doing it as the mayor of Boston and working hand in hand. But that all starts with conversation with you on the front lines. And, and you have me, Mike, to show up and engage and listen and learn. Thank you very much. Um, the same question to Councillor Wu. Uh, talk about reimagining the police uh, force. Uh, what would that mean under you and me? Um, see how she goes. Second Thank you so much. Um, you know, I think we are in a moment of time across our country and here in Boston 
where there's tremendous strain, but also tremendous opportunity to redefine the path forward. And for me, any reimagining across our departments, and in some ways, especially as we're talking about public safety in this moment of a national reckoning on systemic racism and, and a push to ensure that we are doing better by racial justice, that involves, first and foremost, starting with trust. Right? This is why I'm showing up here tonight. This is why I will always be committed to having direct conversations, even in the places where, maybe especially in the places where we disagree, so that that direct back and forth can happen. And I will always be honest about where I stand on, on those issues. For me, this stems from a place of personal experience as well. As I mentioned, my mother lives with mental health challenges, and there have been moments in my family's life where that has been quite intense. Moments where in the depths of her paranoia and delusion, it has been very complicated. The police have been called multiple times on her. And so I know what it feels like for our residents who have experienced those moments of fear when public safety shows up, armed law enforcement shows up, and you are terrified of what might happen in that split second within that situation. And so I want to ensure that we are building trust and doing the connecting with our residents with the services that are needed in the ways that ensure we are directly delivering safety and health. We need to be proactive about focusing our resources and reimagining, rethinking what's possible to serve residents who are living with mental illness and substance use and homelessness, which make up a large part of the calls for service that you all are sent out to manage, even though you may not be. And so I just have to highlight, so like Michelle was saying, reshifting resources, or I forget what the verb was in front of it, but addressing that we need to change resources from one area to the other. And so she continues to slip that in because the other candidates talked about this too, which is funny because this is about reimagining police. Thus far, even the conservative candidates, their reimagining of the police is that the police do less and we get other, better trained, more appropriate people to do it. That is not actually reimagining police. That is recognizing that the over-reliance and the role that we have of police in our society. And so I'm very glad she said that, especially when she can tie it to what is um, a very personal story. But she does have a chance, and let's see if she does it, to like really lay this out. Equipped to do so, and even if that is not what residents are, are seeking in that moment. So it's about having the conversations and pushing hard with, in partnership with EMS, in partnership with uh, those who, from a social work and, and mental health background and substance use and counseling, to have a trained professional force where we are building trust and responding better to these instances where our residents need help and are in crisis in those moments. I also want to be honest that reimagining must mean accountability and building up trust with the public about our resources. Some of the headlines that have come out that have put Boston in the news about fraud, about the use of resources, are ones that we must necessarily address to build trust for the entire department. We need accountability metrics. I'm glad so she said that to face. A specific plan for how I would address contract negotiations. There's a lot more details in there, but there are ways that we can make it consistent, fair across the board with an objective discipline matrix and other ways that we can codify a shared sense of trust, a shared sense of fairness across the board. Also, how do you not also mention them electing a known alleged pedophile to be their union president? I would have probably said that in my intro, and I just would have really set the stage of like this this entire uh, hearing is going to be a big F. F you from me. But then again, that's not actually smart politics. But. Thank you very much. Um, the same question to uh, Mr. Barrows. Um, uh, reimagine the police department. What would that look like? Um, after... All right, we're going to listen to Barrows. I was going to skip him because he has no chance. Yeah, I think reimagine the police department uh, in the same way that I said in my first question but. was a positive vision. We need to reimagine the best police department in the country. And the only way we can do that is bringing all the stakeholders together to have the conversation about what's working and not working. And so I want to emphasize, in fact, my partnership with law enforcement to do that. In the conversations that I've had, I believe we need to we need to start a new city-run safety um, and health and healthy communities agency. See, it's fascinating. Every single one of them identified under the question of how do you reimagine the police is they are thinking of a different agency to do what is one of the functions we currently call upon the police to do. That is all defunding the police's. They've all hit that and they're all just afraid to lay it out or they just can't make the mental connection. One with health and human services uh, professionals that will work closely with law enforcement will be a non-law enforcement response. The agency will be made up of professionals, highly trained on safety measures to respond to calls. So that, not police. Time, time for police that, that are probably not responses that uh, calls that police should be responding to related to mental health, related to public health issues, substance abuse, when I come home and I find someone who needs help, but happens to be knocked out right in front of my house, we should be able to make that call, but have somebody else show up. When there is a child, uh, I don't think John Barrows needs some medical attention or behavioral health. Has people passing out in front of his house? That's just my guess. Um, these professionals need to be equipped, in fact, to immediately connect residents with medical care, with mental health treatment, with emergency housing, with substance abuse treatment. All things that I know right now that our police officers do, and that I'm trying, they end up trying to figure out. I've seen police officers be um, uh, extremely flexible and 
trying to connect people to, to these types of services, but this non-informed uh, law enforcement agency should do the work closely with the Boston Police Department and then determine appropriate responses to 911 calls, coordinated with the Office of Service Recovery by the city, coordinated with the Boston Public Health Commission, coordinated with Boston Public Schools, coordinated with Boston Housing and the Office of, of Housing Stability. Um, this is something that- I just answered the question in the chat. So I have endorsed and donated money to Michelle Wu. She is by far the only quote unquote progressive in the race, even though I don't like that term. Um, I'm still a fan of her. I'm a little bit too busy to actually directly canvas for her, though I'm sure I'll do something in some capacity, but I am voting for um, and supporting Michelle Wu. That, uh, uh, that would be done in partnership with police. The other piece is, you know, I believe we have some 900 or so shortage in police. When we were a city of 600,000 people, we had a police force of 2,400. Now the city is growing 750,000 uh, residents. We have a police, police force of about 1,600. I remember watching the numbers. Yeah, so so isn't it possible that we did, we had way too many police then? Like, the, the the idea that because we had a certain ratio decades ago, that was a perfect ratio, do you think it had something to do with uh, the, the busing desegregation, like the entire racial segregation of the city of Boston, that maybe we over-policed certain areas even more so than we're doing right now? Just because you had a certain ratio decades ago as like that is like the golden triangle that you need to always establish and now we're lacking. Like he, he's saying we need 900 police officers to get to some equation. Don't you think maybe it was fucked up back then and that maybe we are still over-policed today? God, I hope that every ludicrous. Call with the police commissioner and, and, and the chief. And we would, we would talk about uh, uh, the health of the police department, health of police officers, you know, COVID, COVID exposure. I've been cursing a lot tonight, I apologize. I've learned over the years. I'll get better at that. Been, just look at our overtime numbers. The only way we can address it is, in fact, by hiring more police officers. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You could change the shifts. <laughs> the, the reason that they are having overtime is because the current shift schedules dictate, oh, we need, um, I don't know, 1,500 officers on duty right now. There's only 1,300 who are... Um, scheduled, so now people pick up the overtime shifts to make it. You could just change the shift schedule. You could just have different zones of coverage. The idea that that is static, that that cannot change, that is not something that is determined, is just fantasy land. Good diversity and being true to having local people on in the neighborhoods, in the city, work for our police uh, force. Thank you very much. Um, on to the next I'm, I'm curious what the question is. Um, well, we're going to close here, though. Um, there's always a lot of talk about those. Uh, some people take shots at them in the headlines. But uh, what is your understanding of how they work? In what ways, if any, would they change? This is actually a really good form. I wish the other candidates were here for this. But all right, um, we're going to end it there. Um, I will, we will revisit this. There's a, another mayoral forum that happened on Thursday about housing that I really want to get to. And all the candidates are there. And housing is something that I can probably speak on Um the best out of all the different policies. So I'm really looking forward to that. So for tomorrow night, might continue with this. I might switch to um, the housing one. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. But I'm going to say goodbye to the uh, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, or whatever audience. Thank you so much. Uh, Nuked Piggy. I enjoyed the back and forth. Come by anytime. I'm going to say goodbye to the podcast people. I can bring you up. Later.